0: Welcome back to Maker Chat Live. I'm your host, Adam Krutinger. Today we have author illustrator Gene Beretta. Stick around, it's going to be a lot of fun. And welcome to the show, Gene. How are you doing? Well, it
1: depends on what part of the world you're in. Good afternoon here.
0: That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, yeah. People who don't know Gene—if you don't know Gene, you should. Gene Bretta is a is a a children's book author and illustrator. Here's uh Gene at one of his uh, book events. Here he does events for schools, I believe, right? And you do all types yeah. of other uh, events that you go to.
1: where yeah, for- there are, there are conventions, there are school assemblies, um, anything book related. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. But you saw the one you saw there with that weird looking animal. Ah, uh, the Brandywine River Museum here in Pennsylvania. They they've had me on during this uh, COVID period to do live streams for their their younger um, visitors. So we're making these animashes, where we'll take all of the most identifiable qualities of an animal, three or four of them, and mash them into one brand new creature. So they've oh, yeah. we've been done about a couple months of those every two weeks. That's wow. it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that is really cool. I like that. It's always fun, especially like, do you do many uh, school visits?
1: I do. I haven't done as many in the last couple of years. I think it's just the nature of schools now, budgets and things. But I used to do maybe like 20 a year. Now I'll do about half of that.
0: Yeah, um, I know it, at my school, I, I don't even know if you know this, during the uh, day, I'm a, a art teacher at an elementary school, and I'm, I'm good, you know, very good friends with one of my coworkers who is the librarian, and she does an amazing job putting together an awesome program, and each year she yeah. brings in different authors and illustrators, and it's always nice to have someone who can kind of double dip and, and does both for something uh-huh. like you do, and actually, yeah. She had some questions specifically uh, that that she wanted me to ask you as well. Since okay. I hope to share some of this uh, clips of this with uh, students. Okay. Okay. Her name is uh, CC. She goes by CC Librarian uh, on uh, on Twitter. If people want to check out her. What
1: a what a blog. weird coincidence that her last name is also her profession.
0: That's right, right? What are the chances? Yeah, yeah. And she had a, a couple really great questions when I asked okay. her um, to uh, if she had any questions for you. And one that she likes to ask uh, a lot is, what type of advice would you have for young, budding book creators
1: for a student? Well, one of the things that I talk about, which I can also go into detail here when we start talking about the whole process, mm-hmm. Is perseverance, and young kids, especially elementary school age kids, love to hear the stories about how I went through years of revisions uh, before my first manuscript was accepted. And we even make a game out of it. I, I, you know, ask them to raise their raise their hands if they think this this version was accepted, and or this one, and they learn that it's not just uh, oh, I have an idea; it'll become a book next week. Um, And and so that's a a really important lesson for them to develop a little bit of tough skin and not to take it personally, but just understand that it's the nature of the business and that there are so many other people who want to do the same work. So you have to be patient and you have to stick it out. And that's when you learn if it's really a passion of yours. Mm. If you get turned down endless times, but you still go for it, then that's a pretty good indication that you're, uh, you're headed in the right direction. And oftentimes it pays off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, when you, when you first started, uh, actually another question that she, she has here is was there a teacher who encouraged or inspired you when you were young to to do this?
1: Right. Well now um, one thing to point out is that I didn't, the first thing I wanted to do when I was elementary school, Age was to be an animator for Walt Disney or Disney Studios. And from there, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I actually went to NYU Film School and wanted to be a film director. And so I kept jumping, sidelining off of the path that I finally followed. And up until I was in my late 30s, I never knew that what I'm doing now was even a legitimate full-time career until I started meeting other illustrators who were doing it and they mentored me along. But um, I think I forgot the question is how did I get started?
0: Yeah. It was about about, uh, if any teachers inspired me. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But so back in fifth and sixth grade, I had a teacher named Nella Storm who I'm still close friends with. We're still in touch and close with uh, Nella and her husband Bruce and she was uh, she was a really powerful influence for me she uh, t- taught me and and um, was really good in instructing me on how to how to approach your art and where to look for inspiration she introduced me to Leonardo da Vinci who was a true Renaissance man and we, and and that became a great role model for me because then I dipped my feet in all the different arts at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I credit her a lot. I, I, I dedicated my Leonardo da Vinci book to Nella and Bruce. So yes, I definitely had that early on. And then she followed me through my film career, you know, for the period which that lasted. And we've, uh, you know she's also still in Pennsylvania, and she's recently retired, and we stay in touch, and I love her to death.
0: That's amazing. yeah, and just for yeah. pe- people are wondering what book you're talking about, I have here there's your Da Vinci book is the last one here. but this is <laughs> it's technically
1: a series? yeah, the the three of them, it's an inventor series, which also work as biographies because i, I focus on the um and I have an example here. I don't know if maybe I can just show that right now. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, or you know, what, let me wait until I talk about that whole process. But okay. the um, the uh, I focused on their inventions because they all invented not only what they had in common was that they all invented many many things that we still use today. So I was able to I I found a format that worked. Where on the uh, the left side of the page you see how the world still uses the things they originated. On the right side you go back in time and get a glimpse of the moment when they were creating these things, and that 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 format first worked for the Benjamin Franklin book now in Ben and then I followed that with Neo Leo about uh, yeah there's now in Ben and Le- Le- uh, Neo Leo about Leonardo da Vinci and then Timeless Thomas about Thomas Edison and then along the way I also I added lots of biographical information in there so that it, it did work well as a biograph a biography too yes yeah, so, so
0: one thing I noticed too is uh, you know well, obviously clearly the books we've been talking about they're all nonfiction. What uh, made you decide to go into that direction rather than more fantasy style books?
1: Yeah, I've done I've done only one, uh, and I have an image from this too. I've done one fictional book, Jack the Tripper, which is sort of a boy who cried wolf story, and it's it it really became you know you don't always have complete control of the direction your career goes, Mm. and that's that's part of the exciting that's there's excitement in that because. if you anticipate it and and follow it too strictly, you don't have any surprises left or, or a sense of discovery or you don't evolve in necessarily a natural way um, from project to project. So I started as just an illustrator and before I had an agent and everything, I was illustrating for other authors. And Now and Ben was my first work as an author and an illustrator and that, Right out of the box, did really, really well. It's still one of my best-selling books, and that was uh, tw- uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. So that long ago, and I'm still getting nice royalty checks, and it's still be coming um, parts of school curriculum and different anthologies and things. Right. You learn that too. You learn that nonfiction books tend to have a longer life than fictional books, um, unless it's one of the huge, you know, the really popular fictional books. Which yeah. will have a, a few months on the shelf at what you know what used to be brick and mortar bookstores, uh, but the nonfiction ones stay in school curriculum and librarians and teachers stay with them uh, for their classes and their kids. Uh, but what happened was I, I got now and Ben did really well, and so of course I said you know I have other uh, people that inspired me that followed a similar path uh, as Ben Franklin did. Would you like to, you know, me to start putting ideas together for one on Leonardo, and then that did well, and then timeless Thomas, and and and, and at the same time I was coming up with some other nonfiction subjects, um, which were uh, homophones, homographs, and homonyms, mm. uh, and that all just started by chance because one day I was holding my son outside, and I said, "Look at the sun, son." I said, "Oh, what? Ooh, sun, sun." Yeah. homophones and oh there you go so dear dear there was the first one uh homophones words that I are so different. i just read it to my daughter today yeah, it was really, yeah it's great oh my um, god and so also too if you have the hardback versions of all of these you'll see my son grow up because in the biography photo uh, he's with me in all of them up until the present on only the ones that I've written and illustrated. So you see him from age three and now and Ben growing up in the back of the books. That's oh, by not- the way, here, do, do me a favor. Open up a uh, dear, dear okay. to the, to the spread that has the cows in them. The cows in them. It's okay, toward yeah. the back, I think. Toward the back.
0: Let me pull it up. These illustrations
1: are just absolutely stunning too. Thank you. So I think it was the cow's mood and harmony because they were in a good mood, yep. so you've got mood. Okay, so hold that up. Let me make it full screen for people at home. Okay, so this is something that became a a, a, a not a trend. What it, would be it called? Um, it's just a playful thing that I did. If you notice the cows, they have weird haircuts, and they're actually the Three Stooges haircuts. Oh, you got Mo, Mo and Larry, Curly, Shemp, and Joe Besser, <laughs> and so. Just, and, you know, I'm not a huge Three Stooges fanatic, but I just thought this was hysterical. And since then, I've hidden the Three Stooges uh, in, in my books in different okay. spreads. That's- so that's another thing to look for in my books, Three that's- Stooges or Ben growing up, my son growing up.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's so funny. When I was talking to uh, my, my good friend and co-host of my other podcast, Puppeteers podcast, I mentioned that I was talking to you, and then he made sure to have me point out uh, – your, your spread from this book here. Right.
1: I know, and I got it in person
0: here. We got it in person there, and you have quite some Easter eggs hidden in the background of this uh, uh, illustration as well.
1: Yeah, this was. Um, this is from the bat Let's See if you can see. Oh, is see that it okay? That? So here's. Yeah. Let me take it out of the. Uh, I should have prepped here. No, take a, it out of the plastic so we can. If you want to oh, look you in, do? yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so right. this, this is the full it's illustration for people can see the full spread that how it looked in the book.
1: But if, okay. we, if we look in closer at the background here, mm-hmm. everybody in that audience is either a Muppet performer or Muppet fan and friend. So I see Jim Henson, Brian Henson, uh,
0: Tyler yeah. Bunch is there. Well, I me
1: right see now. if I can name them. Let me see. From top to left to right top, you've got John Henson. Jane Henson, Brian, Jim, Ed Christie, Frank Oz, uh, uh, Peggy. Um, um, oh, I might, I'm. i blanking. Oh, this is bad. I shouldn't do this because I'm going to forget certain names. <laughs> Peggy. Uh, it begins with an M. Sorry, Peggy. Uh, and then it goes on and on and on. And
0: yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that we have like more of the close-ups here as well. And, I mean, I just – I'm familiar with all these people. So just mm-hmm. looking at them, it is, you did an amazing job capturing them. And what's There's, so important about it, too, is that, you know, unless you really knew those people, you'd never know. Uh-huh. It's like background characters.
1: So it's the perfect little Easter egg. There we go. I'm trying to – it's hard to do this without from behind, but – you can see here's the original size of the artwork. Um, it gets reduced down a little bit, um, and what is- without the text, you know, I hand it in. Of course, without the text, that gets laid in there afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all that had to be added. And they, the, um, you know, one thing that comes in really handy is Photoshop, things like that. Now, because these were all done in pencil, mm-hmm. and it would have been wouldn't have come off as well if I had to kind of put this on a light board and trace them a second time to put them into the backgrounds here. So I was able to, one thing I've been able to do now for many years, I bought a large size printer. And once my sketches are approved, I'm able to print them out right onto the large size watercolor paper to paint. Mm. And in a case like this, these pretty much just stayed black and white drawings from the printing and then I just put a wash of yellow over them and the the other characters get, uh, let's see, uh, sorry about, let me, oh, there, I have to go in the opposite direction. You know, the major characters get outlined in in watercolor and this is all watercolor, by the way, um, and really treated like just a standard watercolor painting on watercolor paper.
0: Wow, that's, those are absolutely
1: stunning. When you said you that's printed, to your printer,
0: when you do the original, is it a one-to-one scale, or do you scale it up or scale it down when printed?
1: Well, it's a little larger. For something like the um, that scene there, I drew them all individually because um, I just wanted to get them all right, and then I I uh, combined them all in Photoshop.
0: Oh, Awesome. That's awesome.
1: So actually, now that we're on that, I want to talk a little bit
0: more about your process. But before I get too much into the art side of the process, I want to start in the writing process because I I can only imagine that a book like Dear, Dear starts off with, you know, coming up with one like that that uh line you said when you said look at the sun son was was that inspiration for the whole book you kind of start with one line and premise which probably sometimes ends up somewhere in the book and then you kind of build a a story around it
1: yeah and actually i don't think that pair of homophones even ended up in the book um but for something like that all the creativity came, you know, I went online and I just said, all right, I'm gonna do homophones. And now, homophones and homographs used to be just grouped in with homonyms and all those were called homonyms, words that are spelled the same and sound the same but mean different things, spell the same and sound differently, like bass and bass yeah. and spelled differently and sound the same, dear and dear. Uh, so I was able to separate them out. And the homophones seem like the easiest to start with And so I just went online and found a a long, long list of homophones. And as I read them and started making notes on, uh, I started making notes on which ones might fit well in in a narrative. So there were certain animals that worked as homophones, which led to the whole theme of Dear, deer, which was um, this character, Ant, A-U-N-T, and then A-N-T, visits a zoo. And she's writing back to her dear, dear, all about the new friends that she's met at the zoo. And so she, and so the whole thing is set up with that framework. The beginning, she starts writing the letter. At the end, she's finishing the letter. But in between, you've got just a series of characters that work. Where's the moose? I know I put the moose in here. Hang on. Here he is. This is, oh, beautiful. Which way do I have to go this way? Okay, so the moose loves moose, he ate eight bowls, All right? So you've got, we have, to, we have to get used to this. This is, you know, like with the Muppets, they have to do everything in reverse. I don't know how, how they manage that. Okay, it's really tricky. Okay, so the moose loves moose. So you've got the animal moose and you've got the dessert moose. And he ate eight bowls, right, A-T-E and the number eight. And there's ant, ant in the foreground. And of course, this big white area here is where the words get dropped in. And she's also, she shows up in every spread of the book. Sometimes she's easy to find, other times, it's a little game to find her. So with that, all the creativity came in not finding the homonym pairings, homophone pairings, but. Uh, in what you'll do with them and how you create the narrative, how you make it work. you know one one thing that's a real learning curve with writing picture books is that you have to write concisely, and the word count is much smaller. And you have to do that without making it all seem jumbled together, without it seeming contrived, um, without it sounding like you're putting something in there just so it works with something else for the sake of a Hama phone pairing or something. And especially when you're doing biographies, you have to think, you have to get, not not only have to, like with the inventor books, introduce kids to who these people are, because some of them lived hundreds of years ago, but also explain how these inventions functioned, a little biographical information, all that within maybe two or three sentences per page. Uh, So that's a real, that's a real trick um, and a skill to build up over time.
0: Yeah, I would think so. Cause I'm sure obviously you must do a ton of research and I'm sure there are multiple humongous books about Da Vinci and like getting it down to three sentences on what about probably a roughly 32 page spread is gotta be quite, quite the chance. It's like like doing a really crazy puzzle
1: probably. (laughs) Well, it is. It's like, it is like a puzzle. It's a good analogy because Um, Most all my books so far have actually been 40 pages, um, and that's been helpful, especially with the biographies, because I usually have a couple pages in the back that are called Back Matter, where you get to put all the information that just doesn't fit in the narrative. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to fit everything in, then the narrative suffers, because you want to build some emotional peaks and rhythms. Uh, But if you feel like, oh, I can't go past this week in his life without mentioning this incident. That happened to his son, because uh, it's really important. But if I do that, it'll distract from the other reason I'm talking about this week in his life. So you put the son story in the back matter,
0: yeah. so that's
1: helpful. Um, but my favorite part of the book is doing the research because that's when you put on your detective hat and you get to and you and you're learning. You're you're having the same sense of discovery about these characters that your readers will have hopefully when they're reading your book and you get to go visit really fascinating places and you sometimes it gives you uh you know it gives you a free a pass to get into places most people most people can't visit Mm -hmm. i'm doing right now i'm doing a book i the the two i'm working on now i just uh wrote a book for another illustrator about the childhood of steven spielberg because he had a pretty uh, interesting childhood and a lot of those stories and themes made their way into the films he did later on. Uh, and uh, I handed that in, but right now I'm working on a dream project about the artist Andrew Wyeth's childhood. Oh, wow. And it's, yeah, it's been my dream project. And there's lots of great lessons there for young kids, stories that will inspire young kids to start creating their own art. Wow. But since it's my dream project, and, and this is also, it's connected to, I mentioned the Brandywine River Museum earlier. Um, that's one of the two museums that is like the Wyeth family headquarters. And it's like my second home, the one in Chad's Ford. And they cannot be more generous with their time and resources. And so I've been allowed to just drive on to Andrew. Andrew's father was N.C. Wyeth, another famous illustrator. I've been able to just with permission, drive onto NC's property and spend the day there just taking pictures, sketching, painting, walking around the house and the studio, all these things, visit parts of the homes, the interiors that they don't do on the tour. Um, And I've gotten to know some of the family and, and some of his close assistants. So it's just been a dream come true. Wow. And I don't want the project to end. <laughs> well, that's amazing.
0: No, that's amazing. You know, I do yeah. want to go in a, a little bit further into your process. So we talked a little bit about some of the writing styles you use for different types of books that you create. Um, but one thing I, I know as uh, when you are an author-illustrator, a lot of times what you have to do is create what's called a dummy where you lay it out and sketch it. So at this point, since you are kind of established and you have some published books already – do you, yeah. do you only submit the transcript, uh, the manuscript first and, or do you still some wait till you submit a full dummy at this point? Uh,
1: well, since, you know, I've been really lucky to, uh, hi Ben. My son just walked in. I'm on a live stream right now. So you have to, you have to give me some time. Okay. Um, my, uh, as I mentioned, I'm, at, I'm with Ben at my ex, <laughs> my ex-wife's house. Yeah. So we're all in one big, uh, hiding, not hiding place, we're all together, where they actually have power in the area. (laughs) Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Um, Oh, so I've been lucky to have the same editor for most of my books. So we have a great relationship, one that was there's a lot of unspoken language between us. She knows what I do uh, as an artist, so, I don't have to prepare as much for her, but she still wants to see not only, you know, a good a good treatment and a rough outline, but also a few examples of how I plan to, uh, the kind of look I plan to give a book. I can show you, if we want to step backwards a little in time, um, I can kind of show you how I get to that point. If you want to jump I, into that. Yeah, show us. Okay. So I mentioned that My first manuscript was from my book, Now and Then, uh, which you showed uh, the cover for. But there you go. But initially, before I started doing any artwork, I I was submitting manuscripts. And this was from December, 2002. And it's called Poor Richard. And it was just, I'm gonna have to read these again. uh, But it was just a, a breakdown of some story and it was more of a narrative. It, poor Richard, although yeah, a lot of people know it, poor Richard in real life was the pseudonym Ben Franklin used when he published Poor Richard's Almanac. But in my book, poor Richard's one of his next door neighbors who also wants to be an inventor, but he, he's in, he invents the worst things you've ever seen. So there's some humor there, but you also learn about Ben Franklin's inventions. So I gave this to the editor. Oh, and by the way, this was rejected like 20 to 30 times first you know first time out but one editor said I oh, like I mean, the idea you're
0: asking, you're you' you saying rejected is that by uh, by uh, publishers or agents
1: publishers yeah because um, did I have an agent? I did have an agent by then um, I, I worked for several years with no agent and then that's a whole other story but I met my agent in 2003 and we've been together since then wow. which was good too because that's the year my son was born and that meant that all my time knocking on doors uh, could be put aside and given to the agent. And now I could spend all my time purely with work. So my agent passed it around and it was rejected that many times, but I met one editor who said, you know, I like the idea of doing a book on Ben Franklin's inventions and how we still use them, but I don't like the poor Richard idea. So I'm gonna have to also say, no, no, thank you, excuse me. But if you wanna do a revision, I'd be happy to take a look. So of course I said, yes, I'll, do, I'll try again. And I came back four months later with another draft of it. And she read through it. This is what I do with the uh, school assemblies. I say, so she read another copy and raise your hand. How many you think she accepted it? And the hands go up. How many think she rejects it? The hands go up. And I give either the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And uh, sometimes they cheer even if I get the thumbs down because they because they chose thumbs right, down, right. you know. Yeah. So I have to say, come on, you don't cheer that. Uh, so finally, I I decided I had, I'm going to try a different approach, not the poor Richard. But I thought this approach would work a lot better if I made a dummy, which you mentioned. So I did one called Ben and Benny. Which is about a boy who loves Ben Franklin so much he even shaves his head and wears glasses like Ben Franklin. Right. Oh my God. So he wants to be an inventor, and so this is a much larger dummy than I would probably even do in the final book. But a dummy allows you—you know—usually you'll do like maybe one or two um, fully painted images, and then the rest are uh, just black and white sketches. Mm-hmm. Right, there's another painted one.
0: Yeah, wow. To really
1: give them a good sense of what the book could be, so that's what a that's what a dummy looks like. I have the uh, I brought the original art for one of those color spreads. This one here. Oh wow, That's beautiful. Kind of see the. Uh, I'm going to get the hang of this sooner or later. You <laughs> can see the scale of that. Wow. Right? And it's got some some notes on the side here. Give you a better sense of what some of the inventions were all about, um, but it was still a narrative, and and she rejected it, um, which of course is and this is when kids learn. Yes, you got to get back on the horse and try again because of course I was upset for a while and I put months far many more months into this than the other the other uh, versions, and nobody wanted it. So what do you do? Well, you go back to work. And then I did a whole other thing, the ghost of Benjamin Franklin, which is all about a ghost who shows up in our modern day time and scares the kids. And as they're running around the neighborhood, he's saying, oh, wait a minute, come here. I invented that. Come here, I want you to see something. I helped develop that. And you learn about them that way. That got rejected. (laughs) So finally I said, all right, I have to rethink this. Maybe the narrative is getting in the way. I keep looking at myself. I should look here maybe the narrative is getting in the way of the real reason I wanted to make this book. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to stick to just the facts, go nonfiction and show one side of the page is Ben Franklin inventing things. The other side is how we use them today. So you've got this side, him coming up with the first illustration in a publication in the colonies. And then on this side here, you see that, you know, now, by the way, you know, it's that play on words now and then, uh, instead of now and Ben. Uh, but now you see how most things we read tend to be illustrated. And it goes through that whole process of things he started and how we use them today. Wow. And that was the one that hit. She said, I love it, let's do that. Uh, but that was, um, and I point so, out
0: to the kids. That, uh, so that when you said they liked that one, was that the same person that kept looking at all these revisions
1: of that? Yeah, I just stuck with the same oh. editor who showed an interest. Um, but I me- I point this out to the kids. I say, do you remember the date of that first one I showed you? It was December two thousand and two, and the date on this is December two thousand and four. So that's two whole years of no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Um so that's that's a great lesson for them yeah um, it really takes, can...
0: uh, takes a bunch of uh um thick skin to, to be in this business and uh because you put your whole you pour your whole heart and soul especially if you're an author and illustrator you know yeah, Art, yeah. That's- just write it but you do all that work too and and you're so passionate about it um wow that's so amazing well one thing i know too for people who are because i'm i'm working on some children's books as well and some some manuscripts and one thing i'm mm-hmm. learning in the in the process of, of trying to find an agent and whatnot is that a lot of times that they don't really even want to look at stuff unless you have multiple manuscripts or dummies uh, to look from because they don't want to necessarily uh you know take someone on who just has one book.
1: Do you have yeah. anything to say about that? A, it well it's a much tougher industry now, of course. Um, how you know the book industry is changing with ebooks and things like that. It's a little safer in picture books because parents tend to still want to have a physical book, but they still um they still are not publishing as many. So they want to make sure that they're Looking on to something that could be a series, um, working with somebody who they think has uh, will have um, a, a history—not a history, a you know, a life with them. So there are some, you know, there are some. I don't want to say strings, but there are some things they'll look for um, so that you're not a one-hit wonder. Yeah, of course, if they really love it, they're going to sure. entertain that idea. But I wanna mention something I can, here's a really good advice to all aspiring authors. Many of them think before they submit to publishers or agents that they need to get their manuscript illustrated by someone so they can show it. You, that's the opposite of what you need to do because they, the the editors and art directors at the publishing houses want to be the ones to marry the author and the illustrator because you might you might choose a style of illustration that com- is complete contrast to how they envision the story playing itself out and if you confuse that um, it, it works against you so yeah. well that's what I was kind of
0: going with too when know. I talked about how it's like it's almost like uh you know the, the a brainchild a, a book is of someone in a way because they're they they pour their heart and soul into this piece of art that they're writing and they invent mm-hmm. a certain way but that's not the way that the business works and, and especially no. these companies if they're going to take it on they know what sells for their company and they know what doesn't sell and that's yeah. something that they want to have the control over
1: there's a lot of collaboration that you have to accept um you can't you know, it's different than a fine artist who has the concept, paints it, and no one else gets to have any say. It's purely your work of art, and that's how it goes out to the world. In this industry, um, it's an industry; it's a business, and so you you're collaborating with people, and sometimes there are collaborations or there are ideas that you're not crazy about. But sometimes you have to make the choice: do I, do I? collaborate even though it's not my ideal um, decision at this stage because then uh, you know next time around I may have a better chance of getting it all much more of it in the in the way I imagine uh, I've been really lucky to work with collaborators um, where there's been a, a really nice exchange of ideas and especially since I've been working with the same editor for the most part I've done sp- work with other editors. But we have a really nice dialogue so that I'll, you, you know, you, if you have a good point, you're able to argue your point. And sometimes sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But if you give good reasons why you think it might work, then, you know, it's, you have a better chance of it. So yeah, so you don't want to confuse editors and art directors. You wanna just oh. hand in a, just the, the best manuscript you can mm-hmm. and leave it at that.
0: You know, one thing it has me thinking about because, you know, it's almost contrasting ideas. On one side, you'd say there's so much rejection you're going to get, you know, mm-hmm. and on the other side, there's doing revisions. How do you what at what point do you realize that like this? I just need to show this to someone else or I need to do a revision instead.
1: Is that Yeah, I mean, you, you can do both, yeah. you know, you don't you're not contracted with that person at that point, I imagine. Uh, unless you have some kind of agreement with them, then you're, you you work with them um, until it's time to move on. But uh, you've probably, at this point, sent your manuscript around uh, to several people. So you just, you have to figure out how to, how to, um, you know, it's you learn diplomacy. So you have to figure out, uh, what the stage of that relationship is and whether they'll you can even ask you can even say you know if uh i don't know You know it, it's been so long since i've been doing that, that my agent's been handling this i don't know what the current the current Uh, way to get around that is.
0: It is something that's changing all the time. Even with what's going on right now in the world, my instinct was that they're probably going to kind of freeze on taking a lot of queries, but at least at most of the sources that I was looking at, it was kind of the opposite. There was kind of a shortage, and like now is not a bad Hmm. time to submit uh, apparently, at least to some agencies, if you if you have manuscripts or dummies that you have
1: uh, that you're looking to potentially. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to. I mean, if you if you get a sense that this editor is the right fit and even though you're you know doing revisions is not a bad thing, even after your book's been contracted, you're doing revisions. So if you feel that these are healthy revisions, um, even though you don't always get your way 100 percent of the time then stay with it for a while because you've got somebody biting. Um, so it's worth, you know, you can always be working on different things too. You don't just have one project in front of you. I just, you know, it becomes a juggling act, especially when you're at the stage where I am. I've, this is my 20th year now. And so I've learned how to juggle projects where you send things off. And as you're waiting to hear back, you're developing something else. Um, you wanna have, your agent, you want to have something in the hands of your agent to be shopping while you're working on the project that's been contracted, that's on your desk in front of you, things like that. Um, You reminded me of something, though, along these lines, too, that um, something I've been doing now is uh, my my career, career can continue to broaden depending on what type of work you want to do. And I've enjoyed writing as much as I've enjoyed illustrating. And so I've started writing for other illustrators as well. And oh, there. Yeah. So that's that's my latest release, The Secret Garden of George Washington Carver. And you can see the illustrator is Frank Morrison. It was a wonderful uh, illustrator. I love his work. And we did one on Muhammad Ali. There you go. It's all, this is all about uh, both books, the Muhammad Ali and the Carver one, were all about these pivotal moments in their childhoods that changed the course of their life. Um, but after having, oh, thank you, there you go. But after having um, illustrated for all these years, of course, when I write, I write with an illustrator's eye and mind. So you have to be ready to let the baby go, you know, into the world. Yeah. And, and, uh, Write it knowing that uh, you have to give. Let them have their territory, because they've let you have yours. Also, here's something: a lot of people tend to think authors and illustrators are kind of working side by side. You know, um, you know, what do you? What kind of thing? You know, what are you picturing here for this uh, text and all of this? But most authors and illustrators never even meet. I've tended to. I've been able to meet people I've worked with and have collaborated with a few couple times. But uh, you want because and that's because you don't want to cross into each other's territory. Um, You want to respect what each other's doing,
0: uh, room to breathe as an artist, and especially being an artist, that must be something you can relate to a lot. Because I imagine, you know, I imagine. In most cases, someone who's just a writer and they say, oh, I can't even draw a stick figure. You know, those people, when they have any professional illustrator do their book, it's probably like, oh, it's better than I imagined. They're so away. But for you, sometimes, though, sometimes I I did kind of put the little preface there. But imagine as being an illustrator yourself, is there ever i can we just admitted that you do want to give them their space let them have creativity is there any even like a quick pencil sketches an idea for for even composition or
1: anything that you might? by me no no um what what i have been able to do though there have been um there have been times where i'll see sketches and the only the only suggestions i'll make are ones that might be factual ones since it's non-fiction i might say you know that's not how that building looked or mm. some comments on things that weren't stylistic. They were just, uh, we need to get the accurate about the facts. Um, yeah, nice. sometimes I've been asked, you know, what I imagined here because I'm writing it in a style that might be a little different than the rest of the text. So I'll make a quick little mock-up of what I imagined. And then you have to hope that, well, you don't have to, you know, either they'll follow that or they won't. But, um, but I try not to get too involved in it because I wouldn't want them to send notes back to the editor saying, you know, they he should have he written this in the present tense, not the past tense, things like that. Yeah, 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 um, of course. So I also, before we moved on from now and then, I wanted to show the young illustrators or aspiring illustrators out there some things that I did along the way, which I don't do as much now, but as I, I was trying to come up with like a scheme for, Like color and everything, because I wanted this side to look a little bit more vintage and maybe just do it more monochromatically, aside from Franklin, who's in full color, which connects him to the present day. So I did a whole bunch of studies like this um, for the book. I even did um, like a more uh, detailed painting of the cover. here for you know how it might look more vintage. I just I realized uh, I was, somebody asked me to send donate a painting to the Plum Creek auction to benefit, uh, it's a charity. I realized I, I should probably send this because I found this as I was going through things. But here's something too I wanna mention as I'm showing you this. Um, look at this and then if you could bring up the cover, tell me what you see, yeah. that, aside from the colors, tell me what you see is different between that and the one I'm holding.
0: Hmm. Going back and forth here. Besides the colors, something
1: about the subject itself, not the colors. Yeah.
0: Okay. Hmm. Let's I give you a hint.
1: Oh, going in there. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the image is too small for you to notice. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Yeah. Here. Okay. So there, the uh, there, here, his eyes are closed. Oh, okay. okay. On the cover, his eyes are open but with the magic of Photoshop. So here's what happened. They said, you "No, know, you know, I did this in full color the way you see it on, on the book cover, but they said, you know, with his eyes closed, it's, it's not as inviting as we like it to be. He's not bringing you in and making contact, you know? So maybe his eyes should be open. So all I did was paint a new head with the eyes open. And then we put it, on with Photoshop, we just pasted that right on to the other, you know, the full image. And so you have the cover with the eyes open, ready to go. Um, So you do a lot of studies to try and figure out the look. Now, like with this Carver, I mean, not with the Carver book, with the Wyeth book, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm even writing one on Annie Sullivan, um, Helen Keller's teacher. The tone of those is a little less lighthearted like the ones I've done. So I have been experimenting a little bit with style to adapt to what will work best for the subject matter.
0: That's awesome. You know, I'm so glad you showed us that cover there because one thing that I have heard over time is that that's one thing that can kind of go through potentially like the most changes uh, in the process of finalizing the book. And from what I understand, a lot of times even the illustrator doesn't even do it they just make some assets and then the, the graphics team of the publisher yeah. depending on their process will put together a couple versions and then almost like a board they they vote on their top uh their favorite oh products. well
1: yeah i mean the board it, the board is involved in a lot more these days than they used to be if you hold up the dear dear book if you have it there i'll show you that yeah, that was a good example of the the designer. You know, there's a, there's an editor, there's a, an art director, and a designer who helps take care of the the fonts, you know, for the text, and do things like the cover and the jacket. You but they did that um, based on you pulling some of my illustrations and creating that graphic.
0: Yeah, that's what it's I noticed. Like, it looked like some of the illustrations were the 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 same from yeah from this page. I think it was. Mm-hmm, that, yeah. yeah, that's awesome.
1: Um, Laurent Lynn, who's, uh, who's, who was also, um, involved with the Muppets in design oh, yeah. and things like that. He was the, he was the designer on that. He designed a few of my early books. Oh, That's really? how we knew each other. Yeah.
0: I was gonna, I was gonna meet him, uh, in March because uh-huh. he was coming to the local, uh, society of, uh. Of uh, children. children's book writers. Yeah, yeah. The conference locally here, he was going to be one of the guests and it got canceled the week before it was right at the end of March. So I was going yeah. to him. I knew about that connection. Uh, and that's, that's
1: too bad, but that's, that's yeah. amazing.
0: So, I'm sorry. What was his position on this? You said he was the designer,
1: the designer. Okay. Wow. It's, it's probably, I don't know if it's in the paperback in the credits. It should be though.
0: Yeah. yeah sure it but, is.
1: but so when we did the other two language books, even though there was a different designer, we followed his format just for consistency, and the same with the Inventor books, we follow that format for consistency. Yeah. There, oh, here's a here's one kind of more radical thing we did. Um, the second book of that language series was originally called Zula Palooza, a book of homographs, and something that the publisher wanted to do, and this was around the time that I was already I was working on the third one, the Bat Can Bat they just, they felt like Zula Palooza kind of fell under the radar. And since Dear Deer was just doing incredible sales, I mean, it's in school curriculum and all that and that, and they thought it's, you know, that's a perfect follow-up as well as back and back, but for some reason it was falling under the radar. So they decided to make the decision to rename it because for one, Zula Palooza was the name of the concert event in the book, but it didn't speak to the it didn't inform you as to what the book was about it didn't say anything or have any examples of homographs words that are spelled the same and sound different so they retitled the book the bass plays the bass and we did a whole new cover for that i think if you bring up i think you have yeah on that the three you have there i think you have the second version "The bass bass plays the bass yeah Um, up right here where is it there it is so i so i just did it yeah, there we go. So so that's the second version. Um, which I like I like a lot more and I did I did a separate illustration for that. Um, so that's an example where we really where the the, the cover did change and that was post original printing. And we did make of course we did mention in you know in any advertising and whatever you know formally Zoothapalooza, so people wouldn't buy the book a second time.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's yeah. great. And actually, one thing I want to go back to was the SCBWI and mention that up uh, because, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a member as well. And
1: and you are a member too? I still am. I, w- I was a member when I was starting. And I highly recommend people joining them. If you go to it's Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. If you go to scbwi.org, SCBD. No, sorry. Sc. I know I stumbled S-C-B- on earlier. The SCBWI.org. <laughs> S-C-B-W-I. <laughs> um, there you go. Thank you. It's a great organization to join. They, it's international, and they have conferences at least one or two a year in many regions of the country, and that's where you start to meet uh, as you you know all the people that are that are. Um, uh, I hate when I can't think of words, and I'm an author. The people visiting or attending yeah. uh, are all people wanting to get started, but you, they have, you know, four or five editors to speak and some art directors, and you start to network. And you can do things like, you know, if you meet an editor there, you can say, do you mind if I send you something? And if they say yes, then you can send something that says on the envelope requested material, for example, so it's not an anonymous yeah. entry in a stack of entries and things like that. So it's and you. They have all sorts of things on the website to help you know how to submit to publishers, and they have writing groups, things like that. I and so I'm still a member. I've I've spoken yeah. at a couple, and uh, was even like the uh, what's the main speaker thing called? Main the speaker. Counter. Main speaker thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What did you say?
1: I think it's a keynote, is it? You keynote, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And I was able to bring along my designer and editor for Jack the Tripper at the time. So it was a nicely well-rounded. Yeah, event.
0: last year, I was, again, I was so excited to go this year. Last year was the first one I had gone to. And and I, I generally love conferences in, in, in general. I've gone to magic conferences, juggling conferences, puppetry conferences. You juggle? And uh-huh. uh, yeah, uh, in Rochester juggling is the one I went to. But um, but then of course the, the the SCBWI conference was so amazing to go to because it's it just anytime you're surrounded by people with a similar goal I think it just energizes you and for a lot of people too and like like you mentioned making those connections and and one thing especially to learn about uh, writing books is the process. Mm-hmm unless you really dig into it, the process is not what you expect. And that's one thing I learned. You know, I walked in thinking like, oh, well, you you write a book and then you you draw it, right? And then just really learning all the ins and outs of of what to do and what not to do. The same way you mentioned earlier that a lot of people might write a book and then try to find their own illustrator and then start pitching it around. That's not what you want to do. That's working completely backward and it's going to work against you if you want to be traditionally published. But that being said, one thing I did want to bring up to you is if you have any thoughts on self-publishing? Uh, I, I'm sure you, it's right. not something you think about too much anymore, since you were able to get past that uh, that bridge of being uh, traditionally published. But uh, yeah, I've
1: never I've never self-published. Um, I admire people who do, but um, it's a, you know it's a full time job almost because you're playing publisher as well as um, author or illustrator, and you have to. Be skilled in both, and it's 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 difficult because then you not only have to get publish it, but you have to find a way to get it distributed and find the right venues and things. And so, fortunately, I did I did never have to approach that because I was um, because I found an uh, found a, a, an agent at actually one of the Society of Illustrators. Uh, at, at sorry at an SCBWI meeting, they had a conference in New York at the Society of Illustrators where there were about thirty different agents and you got to pay to sit down with as many as you wanted and so um, my wife at the time and I said how often do you get this chance because I wasn't even actively looking so we, I think we paid to sit with about five of them and that's where I met mine um, but self-publishing I can't really give any great advice on that it, uh,
0: well I just I guess I guess if anything because uh, I can imagine like with that one book you were talking about that you picked it for two years and you still didn't get anyone to, to get it for a while to, to pick it up. I can imagine someone who's written their book and maybe getting impatient. Maybe they tried it for two years and then they're like, you know what? At this point, I'm just going to do it myself. I want this book to be in, into the world. Um, yeah. Is there anything you might say to them about maybe just uh, just k- keep hustling and keep on you know pitching at
1: places? Or well, that's that's just it. I think you have to hustle even more if you're doing that end of it. Just educate yourself on the industry. Um, there's a great book called. Um, Children's Writers and Illustrators Market. And every year they update it. There's a 2020 version, Children's Writers and Illustrators Market. And it not only lists all of the publishers, but who the editors are, the art directors. And of course, if you're about to submit, always call first and say, you know, is John whatever still the editor? Because they tend to rotate. Um, but it, it gives you information on how to put together query letters and treatments and things. Um, But yeah, it's just it's persistence Um, going out. It used to be easier to, you know, when there were more bookstores to just go to a bookstore, sit there for the whole day and see what all the different publishing houses were putting out. Getting really familiar with the language of the picture books and what was available. It's not it's not easy to do now because it's a lot of it is online. But, uh, yeah, that's you have to be a salesperson as well as an artist or author. I want to mention one thing to you before I forget it. You mentioned the conferences can be really inspiring, but on the opposite end of that, they can be really daunting. Mm. um, Because you can, you can show up and do one of two things. You could say, oh my God, there's like a hundred people here want to get published. I'm never going to get in there. Mm. So that can scare you away or you can, and I, and I've been at that point sometimes where, I've gone to a conference either to speak or whatever, um, and I've just seen how many of us are out there and how many are getting noticed and, and audiences and speaking. Uh, but what you have to say to yourself is it all comes down to the project itself. You know, it's it's um, their next book might not sell. You might have the idea that it does does. So, it's not, it's not a guarantee that they're going to get picked ahead of you. So you just have to stay focused on making the best project you can uh, and move forward with it. And then what's really nice about this industry, at least my experience and many friends have shared this with me, is it doesn't feel competitive to us. Mm. We'll all gather together for these annual gatherings of authors and illustrators in my area. And I don't f- feel a sense of competition because we all know that we're not in competition directly with each other. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know we're just dealing with editors and art directors, and it's out of our hands as to what they choose. And we know that one day an editor might think this is the best thing they've ever read, but the following week, you know, the book might be about um, cows. And then the following week, you know, maybe they visited a ranch and got bit by a cow. So they never want to see something about cows again. Um, so it, it, all these variables fall into place. And so you just, you become fans of other people's work and you want to be inspired and see other great work, not just your own. So you're rooting for your friends and you're learning from them. Um, and it doesn't feel competitive like maybe, you know, the music industry or film and TV, where it feels a little more cutthroat that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, no that that's so beautiful that you said that. I'm glad. I, you know, I th- I think that the one the one thing that might creep in though is um, people just uh, I don't want to say jealousy, but I can't think of another word for it. But uh, you know, you want to be proud of your friends, but then you see them do really
1: well, and you're like, oh, well, my book still isn't getting. <laughs> yeah, there's there yeah. can be a sense of en- envy sometimes. Yeah. Um, I I tend to get that more just if I have friends that are more prolific than me um mm. because i want because my books and i have friends who take even longer than than me to do books and some that take uh less time and i want to i just i have so many ideas that i want to get out there um, but sometimes i just say oh my god they put out three books this year um and it has nothing to do with the quality of the books or anything but it's just like i wish i could do the same quality work
0: yeah but
1: there's just not enough time in the day you know you're a dad and you've got and you're doing other things like, you know, do some design work and this new podcast that we, yeah. uh, you wanted to talk about and all that. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. wanted to show you, um, I brought some more artwork just uh, to show you before we did that, I uh, mentioned, are you, are you okay with that? I don't even know what kind of time we have together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got a little bit more time, yeah. Okay. Um, I mentioned Jack the Tripper, which was a book, kind of like a boy who cried wolf type of story. And one fresh way I found to do this book, which was fun was to, it's all about, you know, these kids who are making up excuses for not having their homework and things like that, or eating the school candy from the shop. And they're blaming it all on this guy who feels, you know, is dressed similar to Jack the Ripper, but kids that age have no idea who Jack the Ripper is. So I didn't, there was nothing that, you know, I got one, one of my very few criticisms was somebody writing Somewhere, you know, how could you think of naming a book after a serial killer? Um, but it, nobody makes that connection. But anyway, I like the fact that I could not only show the people telling the story over here, but also show the story that they're telling in the same um, wow. in the same frame. Uh, so that that became a fun way of approaching that. Here's my favorite. colors. Thanks. This is my favorite image from it. It takes place what's called Dizzy Day, which is kind of a Halloween for them. And this is after they've all fessed up and they're waiting outside the headmaster's office all in their different costumes and things. And I even snuck Ben Franklin in there. And the one who started The Lies, Polly, here, is dressed as Pinocchio, which is kind of a giveaway with the long yeah. nose for lying and things like that. Um, you know, I-, I always try to find a unique way, not only with the fiction... But, oh, and that's a tricky thing. That's that's a key to um, a better chance of getting published is that, uh, especially in nonfiction, a lot of people have been written about a lot of times. So the key is to find your angle. What is it you're telling? It's different. What's the approach? How's the approach different? Things like that. Um, I did this Lincoln and Kennedy one um, about the uh, – uh, and you can see one side. It's yeah. kind of one, uh, kind of one of those split side books where, you know, there was this long list of all these cool similarities and coincidences between the two presidents. That have been it's been around since the '60s. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool as a way to start. So I weeded through that and took out the stuff that wasn't true. The stuff was that was just a little too exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And and what I had was a cool, interesting list, but also. As I researched them, I found these bigger themes that they shared that had to do with civil rights and being president at times when the country was at its biggest risk of falling apart, you know, the Civil War and the, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and Cold War and all that. Um, and so I had a, a more meaty subject than just a novelty thing of weird coincidences. And I was also able to show how these two presidents who were both from different parties. You know, Lincoln was the first Republican, Kennedy was a Democrat, but also the first Catholic president. Before that, all Protestants. Um, But they came from very different backgrounds. Lincoln was raised dirt poor, Kennedy was lap of luxury, but they had these common goals for the country and ideas um, for the country. And it was really a nice lesson in how, um, it doesn't have to be this, you know, What I hate, I I never touch politics publicly because I hate when it becomes a team sport because nothing gets done, you know. So this is nice to see that it doesn't have to be a party thing. It can be, you know, a policy thing and an individual thing. And you see how these two shared and even how Kennedy built on some of Kennedy's ideas and things like that. Yeah. which was a cool thing for kids to see.
0: That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love you showing us all these original pieces. I didn't expect that to happen, which is so so yeah. awesome. Thank you for sharing that. But one thing that I know that also that's uh, related to your illustrations is some of the other character designs that you've done. And I have this uh, this <laughs>
1: <I> found. <laughs> it's, uh, this is this is early. Wow! Can you Change the that? title on that because yeah. Well, this is uh, some of you may have recently seen my brother Bill beretted has done these short um, these short clips recently called um, Jules' Little Gems. And it's, it's three or four, uh, like 10, 15 minute things that have had to do with the whole pandemic and quarantine. And who better to tell, give advice on this than a bear who hibernates, right? So, oh, and there he is. So this is Jules how he was today. We designed this bear and had this bear built a long time ago for some other projects that just you know never evolved into something. So um, we're glad to see that uh, we've been able to use him for something like that. Um, but even before then we did, we, I designed some characters um, with Brian Henson and Billy on some projects that also uh, were pilots were made, but like so many pilots, they just don't get picked up. Um, we did, uh, the first one we did Uh, was for Tinseltown, um, Bobby, Vegan, and Sampson. What was Sampson's last name? Sampson Knight, which was, I didn't, I kind of readapted these characters from a previous attempt at getting this pilot sold. So um, I designed them. All these, by the way, you can see on my website, which is geneberetta.com. You can see some stages. Um, And then we did a pilot. It was a late night talk show where the hosts were these large life-size puppets, Augie and Dell. Uh, it was called Late Night Buffet with Augie and Dell and they were really heavy guys. That's why it was a, a late night buffet. And they had real celebrities on, uh, one of whom was uh, the late Fred Willard who recently passed, unfortunately, and um, a number of other people. We did, and they did two episodes. You can see some images from that there. But some of those characters, from those shows that didn't get picked up were used in other projects, Um, other Henson alternative projects. Some were on the tour for um, Stuffed and Unstrung or Puppet Up. Mm -hmm. Some were in this late night, no, sorry, Late Night Liars. Why am I, um, not Late Night Liars. Uh, It was a show on Comedy Central. So it was nice to see them, you know, showing up uh, along with Jules who has come to light too.
0: That's so cool. No, it's awesome to see how you can take that skill of your illustration and really apply it to other fields as well and really be mm-hmm. able to diversify yourself so you can take kind of whatever work, creative work comes your way.
1: Yeah, and, well, you know, uh, sorry, I did no, not want to go. interrupt you, but before this whole book career started, like I mentioned, I, you know, I, did, I didn't start this until I was like 39 or something. Um, I got there you know, I was working in the film industry, I wanted to be a film director, but then I left the West Coast and I was trying to figure out what to do next because I realized that I can't really work in A-level projects on the East Coast. And so Kevin Clash um, put me in touch with one of the producers at Sesame Street. And so, because they were looking for animators. So I came up with a whole list of ideas and I met with Arlene Sherman and, To make a long story short, I got, I was hired to do three one minute animated films for Sesame Street, and then the following year I did two more. And so I was able to do animation with my skills as as an artist. And then through that networking, I started working, doing some character style guides for the characters for the show Between the Lions, which uh, many Muppet people, Henson people were part of that project. And then through them, I, I, through between the lines, I was doing books for them, which led me to the publishing world. Wow. So it became step by step. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you don't, if you anticipate and stay too strictly to that goal without letting certain things happen naturally or follow up unexpected roads. You know, you follow a certain fork in the road in a direction that you don't hadn't planned on, but seems like a promising destination, um, that can often pay off well, which happened in my case.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's that so- makes
1: sense? I said that so quickly. It sounded no, no, like, okay. That,
0: that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it's the okay. way you guys have to be open-minded to opportunities and take chances. Yeah. You never know what's going to, uh, you know, I mean, I, I imagine most people who are, you know, uh, in, in any kind of creative field, whether it's a puppeteer, how many people – Grow up, I want to be a puppeteer. Then it actually
1: happened, you know. Well, uh, Billy, it. there's Billy. You yeah, know, Billy studied to be an actor. He went to the neighborhood playhouse, and moved out west to be an actor. Brian was just starting the show Dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, wait. It's for people, for people who don't know, to Billy is Billy Beretta. Bill Beretta, your brother, who works yeah. with puppets, and and Brian you're mentioning is Brian Henson. Oh, if sorry. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and so he moved out there, and Brian Henson was starting the show Dinosaurs. This was 1990, and Uh, Billy said, I, you know, I'll sweep floors, I'll do whatever, you know, get involved. And Brian remembered that Billy did a great Jackie Gleason impersonation. And he said, kind of had that a little bit in mind for the father character of the show. Why don't you just audition? And he did. And that was his first job with Henson. And who he would have he never planned puppeteering, although we were making puppets in our teens and doing little puppet shows. Because I sent a letter to Jim Henson when I was 14 saying, How do you make Muppets? And he sent back a letter with instruction. Oh, you have that? Yep. <laughs> there's there's my cousin Gary and I, our first two puppets, um, after Jim Henson sent back some instructions. Um, so who would have who would have even predicted that, that we would have followed through the whole Henson thing? Yeah. Um, but I jumped off track there, but it was... Uh... Yeah, oh. no, but, but... Oh, no, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let, we'll jump back around to the dinosaurs thing after we're finished this, because... We've got an, an important 30th anniversary uh, episode yeah, well, of our podcast coming up.
0: I was just going to uh, mention that for people who don't know. Yeah. what current project that you have going on now if people want to follow more obviously uh, his uh, social media has been scrolling down below it's Gene underscore Beretta on Instagram and GeneBeretta.com to find more information about anything he's doing but one of your current projects that you're actually doing with your brother Bill Beretta so we have uh, a children's book writer author illustrator with a a puppeteer director Muppet performer who started their own podcast called
1: the Beretta Brothers Two of bod- us actually more of a podcast than even a podcast. Oh, okay. so it's all so it's all you know it's all there for you to watch. Um, and uh, there will be there will be podcasts. We've just flipped over the technical end of things, so I'm not sure the podcast will be heard this week, but it will eventually. Um, but yeah, you tune in live, and if you go to the berettabrothers.com, that's where you'll be able to see the live stream of it. And this week. Um, is that we're doing the 30th anniversary reunion of the show Dinosaurs. We're going to have over 40 key people from the show, lots of really cool behind-the-scenes footage that nobody's ever seen before, some oh. photographs. Um, it's going to be probably like an hour and a half or more. Um, it's just going to be a pretty cool event.
0: That, that um, show was like my childhood. I remember watching that growing up. It's truly amazing. That's going to be oh, something. Oh, I
1: forgot to mention. I forgot, sorry to mention. Right. Our podcast our has been on Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern. But for this episode, um, it's going to be, it's a special episode. So it's going to be Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern. But just go to the website and you'll be able to see all that information.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the Brenner Brothers website. I already have here loaded up your your personal website too. Let me see if it'll let me bring it into the stream. There it is. So also, if you want to okay. find, you know, it's a good way to get in contact with Gene if there's any uh, author visits in in the future once things open up. If you want to find more out about his books or any other uh, work that he's doing, if you need any character design work or any other reason that you want to check him out, you know, definitely his website is a really good way to reach him. And there's resources for teachers here that I saw as well, where most of these books, if not all of them, have uh, accompanying uh, uh, PDFs that teachers can download to do with students.
1: Is that right? Yeah, there's some teacher lessons that come along with the nonfiction books that are, oh. that are really helpful.
0: Yeah, here it is. Yeah. So so definitely. And, and here it is. Information for school assemblies. So make sure you consider Jean Beretta for your um for your school events, I know. Again, like I mentioned in the beginning, we use uh, author. We have author visits all the time at my school, and we're so fortunate to have that. We've had some really cool people come. Uh, just last year, we had Troy Cummings. If you're familiar with mm-hmm. him, uh, mm-hmm. actually, uh, Michelle Obama just read his book um, uh, on, on, on nationally on, on one of these uh, yeah. outlets, which was really cool. And he's such an amazing artist. Hopefully, he'll be a guest on here as well. But we're uh-huh. going to uh, make sure everyone follow uh, Gene Beretta. And uh, Gene, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there any final words you want to leave people with?
1: Um, no, other than just tune in this weekend. It's going to be really fun. We've uh, got a lot of big guests. We've had Brian Henson on. We've had Tom Bergeron on. Um, we had um, the the Blasucci family, you know, writers and producers who are involved with Family Guy and uh, uh, Drunk History and SCTV and all that. And so we've got a lot of big guests coming up. And we're not just not just going to be Muppets and books, but we're going to eventually cover the fine arts, and music, and whatever. You know, we know lots of people who do lots of interesting things. So, um, I, I think I, I sent you guys all to the the BerettaBrothers.com. We're still since we switched up the for, you know the technical end of things, all that uh, the links might not be up yet, but all that information will be there by showtime
0: yeah yeah and i've checked out the first couple episodes they were a lot of fun and i'm really excited to see this dinosaurs one so everyone make sure you check out bretta brothers uh, website as well as GeneBreda.com uh, for any more information you'll need and i think that's it for now and thanks a lot for coming on gene we'll i really appreciate all. it adam
1: sure. thanks so much
0: we'll see you all next time